0: Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. To begin. Are you watching closely? How to start. I just
1: I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? In life itself, a memoir, Roger begins. I was born inside the movie of my life. I was born a poor black child. The visuals were before me. I was born in it, molded by it. The audio surrounded me. The plot unfolded inevitably, but not necessarily. I don't remember how I got into the movie, but it continues to entertain me. First, the frames flicker without connection. We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us.
0: Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts.
1: Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film, Tristram Shandy, a Cock and Bull story, one minute at a time.
0: Good Lord, what is this story all about?
1: Cock and Bull story. Here's your host, me, Robert Black. Hi, we're here to talking about Group 17, Halloween, and Punch Drunk Love. Uh, with us is David Forsyth.
0: Is it set in 78? I know the yes. initial part is like 63 or something yes, like that. Yes, 63 and then
1: 78 because he's been in the hospital for 15 years. Okay. You haven't anything to worry about. He hasn't spoken a word in 15 years. Although the credits call him 23 instead
0: of 21, yeah. which is wrong seems like they're deliberately trying to set at least Laurie sort of out of time mm, yeah. in that. Um, or out of, you know, she's not hip and modern, right? But well,
1: right. Her bedroom has like, uh, I forget the guy's name, but there's a painting, yeah, an the old p- classic painting on the wall. She's got a Raggedy Ann doll,
0: which had
1: been already popular, but weren't quite popular in the 70s. They came back in the 80s. That is not technically true. Here's a segment from Michael Myers Minute explaining. While the Raggedy Ann, Raggedy Andy angle of brother and sister certainly doesn't mean anything here in this film alone, one, it's an interesting angle in the retroactive continuity. Lori has Raggedy Ann, but not Raggedy Andy, because Michael is her Raggedy Andy. Two, it is worth noting that back in minute 17, there were two Raggedy Ann costumes at the elementary school. In 1977, there was, of course, Raggedy Ann and Andy, a musical adventure. An animated feature, which I have vague memories of watching when I was very young, and there being some creepy moments to it, but it would explain the popularity and presence of at least three Raggedy Ann reference in the film. Additionally, there would be a TV Christmas special in '78 and a Halloween special in '79. Three. Never mind the connection to Halloween. The Raggedy Ann lore is actually pretty interesting. Raggedy Ann was created by Johnny Gruel early in the 20th century. He patented the doll in 1915. There are at least three different notable legends about Raggedy Ann recounted on the website RaggedyAnn.com. First, Gorel's daughter Marcella finds an unremarkable doll in her grandmother's attic and brings it to her cartoonist father. He draws on a face and the grandmother sews on a replacement eye for one that is missing. Gurel names the daughter after two poems from a book on a shelf nearby, The Raggedy Man and Little Orphaned Annie, both by James Whitcomb-Riley. RaggedyAnn.com says this legend, quote, conveys things the cold hard facts cannot, like the wonder of a long-forgotten family doll being discovered by a little girl in the magical and mysterious environs of the grandmother's attic, and it reflects the devotion of a father taking time out of a busy day to minister to his daughter's new charge. The legendary account provides the kind of magical underpinnings and romantic detailing that a doll like Raggedy Ann deserves." Quote. But there's another version. Marcella dies from the ravages of an infected vaccination at the age of 13, the Raggedy Ann stories arose from stories Gurel used to tell Marcella in her final days, and he named the human owner of these dolls and stories Marcella for his recently deceased daughter. Because of this legend, anti-vaxxers have adopted Raggedy Ann as a symbol. The third legend is not about Raggedy Ann's origin, but about the early dolls that Gurel and his family made. Supposedly, they gave the dolls a literal candy heart, as the storied version of Raggedy Ann has spiritual source of her sweet outlook and kindly ways. Unlike Lori's doll, and Lori here in this first film, Raggedy Ann does have that equally spirited brother, Andy.
0: And she's, yeah, that poster for uh, the Belgian painter whose name I yeah, can't remember now.
1: The, yeah, <laughs> the, about, the guy with the hat. From my notes for Michael Myers Minute, but never actually detailed too much in this show, specifically Lori has James Ensor's Self-Portrait with a Flowered Hat, 1883, hanging above her dresser. This self-portrait was originally painted in 1883, but the hat and mustache were added in 1888, according to Clue, the Kayama Art Gallery website. Ensor, who often painted people wearing masks, chose an incongruous hat for this portrait to make a visual point, perhaps. But really the question is not why did Ensor paint it, but why does Laurie Strode have it on her bedroom wall? A straight academic self-portrait made strange and unusual. Perhaps Lori picked this because it suggests an openness to new things that she yearns for, but does not feel.
0: Yeah, instead of like a, I don't know, Tom Selleck poster. <laughs> right. I don't know what teenage girls had on their walls in the 70s. Yeah, she doesn't have anything pop culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she dresses very much like a, oh, I don't know. Amish is not <laughs> quite right, but. <laughs> she dresses like a Mormon. Yeah, yeah. Or like an, an Amish on the rum spring, right? Yeah. So, And Amish is, that a, I don't even know how they... That sounds right. Can you call him that? I don't know. I don't know. An Amish person. Yeah. And,
1: well, so does Michael, really, you know, utilitarian garb. Just wears what's handy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's true.
1: And, hey, Halloween 4 was filmed in Utah,
0: so it all works out. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, I, I struggle to remember the order of things. Like, three is the easy one to place, but, right, like, what happens in the other ones is... Second one's a hospital. Fourth one is... His niece and her
1: adopted sister. Yeah. And they end up shooting him out in the middle of nowhere by the road. Fifth one, he comes back a year later, and Jamie is mute. And then they say the little kid. They go to the party at the farm, and then six is the one a lot of people hate. I kind of like six, although I saw it a lot. I worked in a movie theater when it was out mm-hmm. with Paul Rudd. And oh yeah. The yeah, radio yeah. DJ coming to town. Yeah. <laughs> and the weird ending. <laughs> Because well, yeah. they ran out of footage, sort of.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing that story once, but I don't know if I know the whole thing. But the producer's ending is pretty cool. Yeah,
1: but it also is missing stuff because they literally just don't have the either ending they needed.
0: Terrible. Yeah. And then it gets weird.
1: Yeah. And was, then it
0: starts to reset, and it's H two O after that, itself. right? Yeah. Yeah, and then all the retconning, and mm-hmm.
1: yeah. There's a great comic that tried to connect those two and put them in the same
0: timeline. I'm like, good job, you yeah, good try. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't know about that. Is that uh, yeah. just like under the Halloween moniker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a few pretty good Halloween comics
1: actually. I've talked about in Michael Myersman mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. One that has nothing to do with like the characters we know other than Michael. It's called The Night Dance, I think it is. Where it's in, it's actually the town next to Haddonfield. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the last one they did got canceled before they it finished, and it was like Laurie after the events of the two movies. And I don't know what happened. Interrupting really quick to say that Stefan Hutchinson, who wrote The First Death of Laurie Strode, the one that got canceled, recently did an interview with Bloody Disgusting. Uh, This was just a few days ago, November 6th, in which he details a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes problems they had with putting the comic out
0: and why it never got finished, in case you're interested. Yeah, uh, licensed comics are weird. Yeah, Yeah. They either don't sell well and and get... Can or the license holder claws things back when they want to uh, you know people didn't so much care about the uh you know didn't consider comics and books canon right. for a long time but now that that's sort of uh, I don't know I say let it go there's some good stuff in them
1: too There's they did some sort of illustrated prose things as well
0: hmm.
1: where there's a story about the mechanic who is okay. we don't meet him he's just found he's just his dead body is out by the phone booth by the train yeah and there's a story about
0: him and why he was hanging out out there that night. Oh, right. That's the one that proves that Loomis is also a terrible detective as well as a de- terrible <laughs> um, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever he is.
1: Well, yeah. Because in the movie, it, does he even see that body? I don't think so.
0: <laughs> no, he, he <laughs> randomly, like, he just sort of, like, looks over and sees the truck. He's like, oh, what's this? And then he spends, right. you know, a 30-second shot looking at some nondescript red—oh, it was the matchbook. I think is what it was.
1: It's the matchbook, although— the great thing about that prose story is that that matchbook is a coincidence. It's not the one that was in, his, <laughs> in the station wagon the night before.
0: Right. It's just a place where the the mechanic was hanging out. So it's just chance. That's funny. Which is great. yeah. But it, but then he never sees the body. Stupid Loomis.
1: There's a there's a really good story from Loomis's perspective where it like goes back to in the hospital and comes forward to the movie. Yeah. It's pretty good.
0: It's about how um, Loomis got his degree from a. Correspondent school in Venezuela or something
1: like that? <laughs> no, it's just about how he was oh. always bad at his job. Oh, okay. <laughs> just further proof. Yeah. There's more violence in the hospital. Yeah. People die and no one can prove Michael does it. Right. Good stuff.
0: I want to pin it on the poor education system. I, I, Which I, that was taken actually from
1: anecdotes in like the first chapter, of the of well, the second chapter of the novel, but the novel doesn't really exist. You can't find it anywhere hmm. unless you got 400 bucks.
0: I mean, I could probably scrounge it up, but probably would get some funny <laughs> looks if I... I did that so I
1: I found someone who had a PDF of it
0: yeah Hmm.
1: I do have the actual books of the second and fourth though
0: Uh, I know I had one of the novelizations at some point but I don't know if that's what are you talking about the ones that are writings of the book or they or sorry books about the movie they they in this case they were written like the original one
1: was written uh, they did a draft of the screenplay and then gave that to the guy writing the novel yeah, he added stuff while they were taking stuff out. Oh, okay. Turning it into a new draft of the screenplay, and so there's more stuff in the book, including an origin mm. as to why Michael is killing people, which ties ahead into like the sixth movie and the druid stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, right. So it all
0: works. Okay. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I really enjoy the 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 first original 78 Halloween that we're talking about, mm-hmm. and I am casually interested you know i've seen all of the other halloween movies and the ones that you know came out while i've been an adult i've you know been there in the first night or two to see So I'm a a fan but i've I've never really dug into the lore because it's all sort of had too many hands in in the pot i think so Mm -hmm. but yeah Yeah. it sounds like there might be some interesting I,
1: i like trying to make sense of that stuff like in the past week and a half i was watching the friday the 13th movies yeah leading into like halloween season and trying to make those work is difficult because so many different people were involved. And people who didn't realize, like, the second, third, and fourth movie take place within a week. Oh, right. Yeah. But, like, a guy in the fourth one is talking about how his sister was supposedly killed by Jason and he's been looking for him. He's got news clippings. Her, his sister died, like, three days ago. Hmm. Like, it, there's no news clippings for that yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, there may be some, uh, you know, local newspaper, but... Right. Nobody's got one headline, no useful information to clip out and keep. Yeah, right. But I'm in New Jersey now and in, in the uh you know, the original camp mm-hmm. uh, which I never remember the name of. You're going to Camp Blood, ain't ya? It is Camp Nobibusco. You'll never come back again. It's got a death curse. It's nearby. Around Halloween they do tours of it usually and they usually sell out nice. instantly. But because of the pandemic this year, they have only been allowing people from New Jersey and parts of Pennsylvania to to come in and take the tours. Huh. So they were more readily available, and we were on the verge of buying them and, and going to see this thing, but numbers started creeping up, so we yeah yeah decided not to do that. But that's when we get to the scarier things than horror films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Reality. Ew. Let's
1: not. <laughs> <laughs> now we don't need that. We need people randomly killing people in small towns because. That's wholesome. Right. <laughs> right. It is in a way. I mean, the whole, like, sort of politics of a slasher film is conservative. Oh, very much so. Yeah. With a weird feminist ending. It's like both a response to feminism and, hey, feminism is cool at the same time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I often wonder, like, was that a struggle between Carpenter and Deborah, right? Like...
1: On Halloween? Yeah. Uh, maybe a little. I mean, ultimately, Loomis saves Laurie, but barely, and he fails at the <laughs> well, same time. Yeah. Twice. Yeah. I mean, Halloween and he then blows himself up. So he's not very good at it.
0: No. Uh-uh. I mean, he's clearly a nervous shot, right? Like, a nervous... Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: The scene where he pulls out his gun the first time into the window breaking is great for that. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> With that's the right. sheriff, right? With uh What's-her-name's dad?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sheriff Lee Brackett. That's right.
0: Yeah. That's a, there's a lot of... I mean, I think the original... Holds up, and I don't want to even use that phrase "holds up" because I think it does more than holds up, right? Like mm, yeah. it, it sets a standard, but and I don't feel like there's much camp in that one at all, honestly. No, I mean it. it when you watch it in retrospect, things seem kind of campy because it was the seventies, right?
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, the outfits are a little weird, and
0: yeah, you're seeing the artifacts. But you don't of- even get much music, and when they watch movies, they're watching older movies, so it's not. Yeah, right. They don't go to like a disco dance in the middle of it. Yeah. But the later ones definitely bring some camp to the, to experience, I think. Halloween doesn't much. Eh, maybe not. I don't know. I think you're probably right. I think I'm lumping them in with a lot of the other slashers.
1: Friday the 13th does a bit and Nightmare on Elm Street is deliberately that way in its comedy once it's past its, the first film released. Mm-hmm. Because Freddie is funny and he does crazy things. Right. And camp is fine in a horror film. Oh, yeah. It's done well.
0: Well, I like a good camp uh, (laughs) horror flick, and it's, you know, and, you know, in in the um, campy, not like campground. Right. Although, I'll take either. Yes. Honestly. Camp and camp, both. Right. Campy camp.
1: So, once again, where
0: can the listeners
1: eventually hear you?
0: Come on over to The Devil, I mean Facebook, and if you look for either Rock and Roll High School Minute or Edge of Tomorrow Minute, there are holding pages for both of those, and Edge of Tomorrow Minute is much, much closer. It's one of those things that, you know, we've got probably enough in the can t- to start releasing them now but my schedule of producing them has been so slow that i i know we would be on hiatus sooner than i would like so
1: <laughs> that's the problem
0: i had last year with the room yeah and then i put it on hiatus and then lockdown started right
1: when we were coming back to recording and it was just like ugh. so now it's i've had three episodes of that show come out this year we've recorded almost the whole thing i just haven't had time to edit them
0: i think we've done 12 or 15 nice. episodes Tomorrow. I could probably just slap on the beginnings and, the, you know, the intros and the outros and uh, just release it all and be like, you know, binge it, we'll be back, whatever. Yeah. But that's not no. how you build an audience for your podcast. So
1: you gotta space those things out. Whatever.
0: What, wait, podcasts have audiences? We've <laughs> got at least one listener to this episode and, that, nice. you know, because I'm a narcissist about it, so.
1: <laughs> I don't even listen to my shows anymore. I don't have a commute this year.
0: Working from home. Oh, uh, yeah, right. I find myself doing a lot of, like, taking a lot of extra time with the laundry or the dishes in order to right. to get a podcast in and every, every now and again. So, oh, I should I should make, like, have a specific activity that I listen to podcasts. I've got raking coming up, which will, <laughs> you know, that will give me a few hours of whatnot here and there, so. Instead, I just produce extra podcasts. <laughs> right. This is the uh, Welcome to the Raking podcast, <laughs> where you'll hear four hours of metal rakes on... Dr- what's well, called Raking on a Saturday. <laughs> Raking with Dave. Check it out on all your favorite podcatchers. Yep. Oh, listen to these, listen to these wet leaves over here compared <laughs> to these dry leaves. You like the sound of
1: that? You just, yeah. while you rake, you just talk about whatever's going on in the news that day.
0: <laughs> perfect. And the squirrels are really going crazy on the uh, bird feeder. I love it. Yeah. Done. We can.
1: Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bowl Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cockbull Minute and more content at lemmingdrops.com wait a minute wait a minute doc Uh, are you telling me you built a time machine
0: out of a mandalorian why would you create such an abomination this is the weapon of the coward
1: the uh it's a past stuff that dreams are made of
0: cut that's
1: a wrap it's over Johnny. it's over nothing is over Nothing. You're still here. You just don't turn it off. It's over. Go home. Go.